Let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful for your love. The way that you love us, the way that we can just fall into your grace changes everything. And we're just so thankful. I pray that this service will just rise up and will stir in us so much meaning and so much desire for you, Father, that we just want to be close to you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I just want to start out by um, reading a passage of Scripture from the New Testament epistles. The Apostle Paul wrote this. And I think that it gives us a good glimpse into the church. And he writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Have you ever thought about what really is the definition of church? Like, what's the point? I mean, when you think about it, there are no real boundaries, right? It's, it's really the possibility of a church is, is limitless. It goes beyond the realms of just these four walls. I mean, I've, well, I've had hundreds of services here at Westridge in this room. I have done Westridge Church in Nicaragua. While I have felt uh, as a, a very strong part of Westridge when I share a cup of coffee with a fellow Westridger in the cafe in between services, I feel equally as much a part of Westridge as when I share a glass of wine in my own home with another Westridge. So what is it that makes a church church? And what will it take to cause us to transition from calling it a church and then finally calling it my church? Mm-hmm. Thank you, choir. That was awesome. Well, uh, happy birthday, Westridge. Um, we are celebrating our 19th uh, birthday today, and you know what that means. You people are getting very, very old. Uh, it's uh, definitely been a uh, good ride, but I have to say that it's, uh, it's no secret that I've had a lot of issues with the church uh, growing up um, that caused me at one point in my life to not only walk away from the church, but also to ultimately walk away from my relationship with God. And so several years later, when I felt led to come back into my faith and back to God and trying to rebuild my faith, I had this issue. Like the number one place that I felt the most uncomfortable out of any place was the church. I, I just didn't feel a sense of connection. Most of the churches that I went to left me feeling cold and so you know, I ask myself the question, really, is there any real point to the church at all? Like, can't I be a Christian without having to suffer through going to church? Now, 
as a pastor's kid, that's heresy. You know, I, I never told my dad that I was thinking that, but, you know, in the back of my head, that's, you know, that's really what I was thinking. I mean, I, I, I couldn't really find, I couldn't identify with the, you know, the pastor who was, who was speaking typically because they, you know, seemingly had these perfect lives and primarily because my life was so screwed up and, and you know, I felt uncomfortable with, you know, kind of the judgment that I felt, and maybe that was in my own head, but I certainly, you know, felt that way. I didn't connect with the music, didn't connect with the relevancy, and so, you know, truth is, I, I felt uncomfortable with being in a place where I didn't feel comfortable sharing my own struggles and doubts and issues about my my faith, and so there wasn't this safe place where I could rebuild uh, my faith without feeling judged, and so I said, you know, what if I feel this way? Maybe there's other people that feel this way, and so some 19 years ago, I felt this leading to start a uh, new church, Uh, but I felt like if we were going to do it, it needed to be different, that it would have to be never church as usual. And by that, I don't mean that there's anything different biblically or theologically, but by that I mean that we wanted to create a safe place where anyone from any background could come and explore their faith without pressure or judgment. A a church that is truly authentic in everything that it does. A grace-filled place that accepts people as they are. And 19 years later, I have to say this, as imperfect as it is, as flawed as it may be, as much work and as frustrating as it can be at times, I think that that really is the kind of church that we've created here at Westridge. And so thank you for being on this journey with me, and thank you for making it such an incredible place. As I reflect on what is the point of it all, I have since realized that the church is a place where there is this unspoken, and most of the time, commitment to each other that says, I will walk with you down the narrow path. I will do this journey with you. I will do life with you. I mean, when the church is as it should be, when the church is never church as usual, It never pretends to be perfect. It never promises to have all the answers or to always have it all together. But it always promises to stand by your side and says no matter what it is that you're facing, we will face it down together. Westridge is a real church with real people who have real problems. And we serve a real God in a very real world. And there is really no reason that we have to fake it because we are all in this thing together. And when you get down to it, and you look at what the biblical model is for church, the vision that it appears that God had when he created the church, what the church should be, That passage that I read earlier, I think, hits the nail on the head because it provides us a great description about what it looks like to be an authentic community with each other. 
being one in spirit, one in mind, one love. So there is this like sense that we are a unified body. And the way that we do that is that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, we value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but that each of you should look to the interests of others. It's a really romantic picture of the church, right? It all sounds great, but I have to tell you this. From my experience, that's a whole lot of stinking work. Because achieving authentic community requires us to be humble, even when we're feeling insecure. It requires us to be patient, even when we're feeling frustrated. It requires us to put others first, even when I want to focus in on me and my needs right now. It requires us to tell the truth to somebody when we don't want to. But we do it anyway because we want to preserve that relationship, and that relationship could never go any further if we don't tell the truth. But it also requires the flip side, right? That we allow somebody else to tell us the truth without becoming defensive. It requires us to be vulnerable and honest about our brokenness and our pain and our past and our life, even though we don't want to admit it, rehash it, or make anybody believe that we don't have all of our stuff together. It requires us to help somebody who is in need, even when it is in the most inconvenient times, which is when it always seems to hit. Make no mistake about it. Creating a church that is never church as usual is not for the faint of heart. And it requires all of us to be in it together even when we don't feel like it. And I think if I were to sum it up in just one word, it would be that word grace. I mean, this is foundationally the vision that Westridge was built on. Jesus put it this way. He said, whoever has been forgiven of much, loves much, and accepts others freely. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Because it's important to note what it's not saying. It's not saying that God forgives some of us any more than others. Or that some people are much worse sinners than I am. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that we're all in the same boat. And we're all a bunch of messed up sinners and ain't nobody any better than anybody else. Period. What Jesus is saying is that some of us get our sin, understand our sin, get that we're sinners more than others. Some of us are more real about the mess in our lives, and are willing to be open and honest about that. And somehow, there is this thing where the more honest we are about our failures and our sin, the more accepting we are of other people. The more that we're forgiven, the more that we love. And I think that the reverse is also true that people who don't acknowledge their own mess and resist the idea that they have sin or that they're just as bad as everybody else, 
Because somehow they've gotten into this comparative morality thing where, well, I'm not as bad as that person. And so forgiveness is not something that comes naturally for them in terms of their requests or see it as a need. But Jesus says those are the people that fundamentally become more judgmental of other people because they've developed a spiritual arrogance that says, I'm more spiritually mature than you. I'm somehow more moral than you. Which is a mentality that just drives me nuts because that is the ugly part of the church. And when that raises its head in the church, when there is even a hint of judgmentalism or gossip or backbiting showing up in the church, it kills authenticity like that. It creates an atmosphere that is unsafe for people. Because now all of a sudden people question, if I open up, if I'm willing to admit my failures, if I'm willing to talk about my sin and my struggle, I feel like I'm going to be judged. There are too many people who are interested, more interested in protecting their image at all costs, who point the finger at other people as a way to deflect attention from the junk in their own lives. I mean, that really is at the heart of judgmentalism, isn't it? Where we feel so insecure about ourselves that we look for the ugly in everybody else so that we can push them down and somehow at the same time increase our height a little bit. Where we raise our position so that we can get up on our high horse and look down at everybody else and somehow think that we've got it so much better than everybody. Being judgmental is when we just push somebody down and we value them so much less than our own ego. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, judge not lest you be judged because we all got enough mess in our life to focus in on that we don't have time to be messing in other people's mess. I think that's right out of the Bible. (laughs) Look, I've, I've had my share of struggles and sin and failures throughout my life. I continue to struggle. I continue to have doubts. I continue to have issues with my, my faith. And I know that I am just a messed up somebody who has been saved by the grace of God. And by understanding that about myself, I can't sit up here and to pretend to be something that I'm not. I can't ever come up on stage and talk about how moral I am or how you should follow me spiritually. I feel like we're in it together. And we're doing the journey together. And I don't care who it is. I don't put anybody up on a pedestal. Because we all got some mess in our lives. And we all have to deal. But the strength of the congregation is when we do it together. The other aspect is that of, of creating authentic community is that we're all committed to protecting the mission and vision together. And that requires something that takes us out of our comfort zone because there's times when we hear in the church people gossiping 
or people being judgmental or backbiting. And we need to step into that conversation and say, you know what, stop. We don't play that here. That we're committed to protecting and keeping this a safe place where everybody is comfortable being real. That's why the Apostle Paul says that instead of always trying to put ourselves in a higher position and making ourselves look better all the time, that rather in humility that we are to value others above ourselves. You know how difficult that is? That positionally we're, he's asking, actually asking us to put ourselves below other people so that we can then put them on our backs and raise them up. That when we value other people more than ourselves, that rather being so concerned about what we have to do next or where we have to go or I'm too busy for this, that we stop and we take the time to lift you up and help you get through whatever it is that you're going through to get on with the journey. In my um, early years, I actually um, started out my career as a political activist, and I worked in South Africa for quite some time uh, fighting against apartheid. And so I spent a great deal of my time living in the black townships. Uh, and I lived in one called Mamelodi, which was just outside of Pretoria. And even though there was this incredible poverty and oppression and injustice that was occurring, there existed in these communities such a sense of joy and such a sense of community like I've never seen before. And even though I was the only white face that would be seen for miles and I was kind of symbolic of the oppressor and injustice, people like accepted me and welcomed me into the community like I've, it was overwhelming. There was one evening I went to a uh, neighborhood party and um, it was uh, basically held in a shanty uh, with a big stereo with big speakers. And uh, I went there with a bunch of students and we were kind of sitting around and I was just taking it all in and watching everybody dancing and having a good time. Couldn't understand a word that was being spoken. When all of a sudden some guy comes and walks up to me from across the room, comes over, and he sits down on my lap. And I'm like, what the heck? So I leaned over to my friend who uh, spoke English that I went to, went with him and, and went to the party with, and I leaned over, I said, what is this guy doing? And he says, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean, what do I mean? This guy is sitting on my lap. Why is this guy sitting on my lap? And he said, oh, that. And he starts laughing. He says, oh, that just means that you've been accepted as part of the group. I said, where I come from, that means a whole other thing. <laughs> but that's just the way that they were. You know, it, there was this kind of innocent acceptance that was so beautiful. It was part of the Koza tribe, and I later learned all these kids were from the Koza tribe, and the motto of the Koza tribe is this, translated into English, of course. I am because we are. 
I am because we are. I exist because we exist together. I survive because we survive together. I have joy because we have joy together. I have pain because we have pain together. We are a community, and no matter how hard we try, we cannot do it alone. Wouldn't it be great if there was a place, as the Apostle Paul says, where nobody did anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? A place where there was such a humility that it just oozed authenticity in everything that it did because everyone valued everyone else above themselves. A place where everybody takes care of each other and a place where everybody gets each other's backs. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be a great if we could have a place where people could talk openly and honestly about your struggles with faith and, and doubt pain, failures, and know that when you do, that you'll be not judged, but given grace. Wouldn't it be great if there was a place where we could just do things together, like do this journey together, walk side by side, and we can struggle together, and we can work together in our, in our journey to God When you find a place like that, you have found authentic community. And as imperfect as it may be, as flawed as it may be, Westridge is the closest thing that I've ever seen to that. And if you're not experiencing that here, I would just pray that you dig in, dig roots, get connected, because that kind of thing, it's here. I see it all the time. I see people who are going through the scariest junk, and people from Westridge will jump in and walk with them through it. I see people who are going down where Westridgers grab them and say, come on. I can honestly say that my own life has been changed because of the community that I've experienced here at Westridge, and I can't imagine my life without it. As many of you know, I'm just a uh, volunteer here, and my paying job is that I'm an owner in a real estate development and investment firm, And so I've studied quite extensively as to what makes companies successful. And there was this study that was done by Jim Collins after this last recession as to what it was that caused so many companies to fail. What was it that led to their downfall? And, I mean, I'm not talking about small companies. I'm talking about solid Companies who had a lot of things going for them, investments and resources and solid business plans. And the study revealed that there was one thing more than any other that led to their demise. The number one reason that companies failed was because they lost their sense of mission. 
They viewed themselves, they began to view themselves as a commodity, as a business that existed only to make money and protect the bottom line rather than have a vision about who they really were and what they were really doing it for. Like, what's the point? And so everyone in the firm began to see their jobs as nothing more than just a job and didn't understand what the purpose was. There was no bigger vision. There was no bigger purpose. Somewhere down the line, they veered off course and they lost their way. The same thing happens in the church. Churches may have great intentions, but there are times when a church can lose its way. And it can become about all the wrong things. A church can be driven to make sure that it makes budget year in and year out. A church can be driven to build attendance or to build bigger buildings. I have to tell you, I don't care about any of that. As I said, I'm just a volunteer here, and it's a lot of stinking work, and there is only one reason why I do this. It's because I want to be part of a church that's different. I want to be part of a group of people who, like, get it, who are so tired of the superficiality of this world that they know, that we know, that it's our last shot at something real, something authentic, something that's bigger, something that has purpose, something that has mission. Instead of the emptiness that we experience day in and day out, and we will do whatever it takes to protect the vision and the mission of this church— I want to be part of that. I just celebrated my 49th birthday last month. And I was kind of fooling myself into believing that I'm now in the halftime of my life. But I started thinking, and I ain't got 49 years left, I don't think, so I think I'm like in the fourth quarter, maybe. And I don't want to waste any part of my life on stuff that has no meaning. Because you start getting the feeling like you're running out of time. You know? And for me, this church represents a part of my life that has purpose and mission and meaning, and it's the stuff that will last beyond the grave. Westridge is not a perfect church. (laughs) Far from it. Especially with me in it. But I just look at it as I say, you know what? We're just a group of people who love Jesus. And we're doing the best we can to walk together down this narrow dirt path that we believe one day will lead us home. And there's going to be times when we stumble. There's going to be times we're going to fall flat on our face. There's going to be times when we feel like we can't take one more step because we're so tired. 
And it's then when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, another Westerner shows up, puts you on his back, and says, come on. Let's finish this thing together. I envision it to look a little something like this. Johnny Bradley may not make the finishing line. He's looking over his shoulder. He is desperately in trouble. Just get him some fluid here. He cannot be helped. I, I don't think I've ever seen this. Let's see if Alistair stops. Johnny Brownlee is no. not going to finish this race. Alistair's come, come, come. He's got him. This I have never seen this before. Henry Schoolman is going to win this race because Alistair Brownlee has stopped for his brother. I don't even know if that is allowed. Uh, this what? is incredible. I, I don't think he cares if it's allowed well, or that not. That is the most incredible thing I have ever seen in a triathlon. Alistair Brownlee is trying to get his brother across the line. Coming down the two Brownleys, it'll be Richard Murray under the blue carpet in just a few seconds. This is absolutely insane. Here comes Richard Murray. The two Brownleys are trying desperately to get across the line. Oh, my God, Johnny Brownlee in second. It will be third across the line, Alistair Brownlee, and then can Mario Mola be fourth? That is the most insane last few meters. Please show me the path picture. Just won the most insane final two minutes of racing I've ever seen in triathlon. And whether that was legal or not yeah. between the Brownlee. That is it the was most a, it was brotherly the thing. Brotherly love. <laughs> that was what it was. That is a picture of the church, as it should be. And when it feels like we're on this journey together and it feels like you just can't take one more step, that we are so tired, our faith is worn and shattered, that somebody comes up out of nowhere, puts you on their back and says, come on, let's finish this thing together. That's the point of what we're doing. That's the definition of church. I am because we are. Amen.